Welcome to The Sound of Wishes. I'm Cassandra Mulcahy, your host and creatress. I'm a board-certified music therapist with a passion to create harmony, embrace play, and redefine health. I'm here to share wellness musings, inspirations, and techniques to help you embrace your inner child. Please be aware that this podcast is not meant to be a substitute or replacement for therapy, and seeking a local or teletherapist is advisable if you need any more assistance with any of the issues brought up in this podcast. Thank you for tuning into this community, and be ready to tune up and create more music magic in your heart. Hello and welcome to The Share on Monsters. Today we're going to explore what it is to to have monsters. We all all have them and I, I like to explore myself and help my clients see things through through a lens of play because it makes wellness and growth and expansion so much more palatable and so much more easy on the heart if we can explore things with a sense of curiosity a sense of unknowingness, then it adds to to more peace and it helps us become more gentle on ourselves as we're uncovering our truths. So one of the truths I like to talk about often are, are our monsters. We've all got them. We all have them. And I wrote a song a while ago called Singing Paper Monsters. And I, I wrote this years and years ago as I was beginning to explore my own human needs and my own truth. And the first line in the song, the first verse goes, I've got these monsters folded inside of me. I've been catching them under my bed since I was two years old. I tuck them inside my heart so I can be comfortable. And I unfold them whenever I need some kind of hope. So to me, what monsters are, there are fears. And we've got a couple layers of, of fears as human beings. We have our conscious fears, those fears that we're aware of. You know, maybe it's a small fear like, oh, I really don't like this certain type of vegetable or I know I'm allergic to this food so I don't eat it. Well, that could be a really large fear actually because it is it, it could be dangerous and cause a, a certain really strong reaction in our, in our bodies, in our minds. Um, but it might be something like I'm really afraid of snakes or I'm afraid of mirrors or I'm afraid of my neighbor because they keep yelling and they won't stop. So these fears that we are aware of are conscious fears. And we also have another layer of depth with our fears. We have our unconscious fears. Those unconscious fears might be connected all the way back to our childhood, and if you believe in that sort of thing, it could also be connected to our our past lives. So it could be an an unconscious fear that um, that I've uncovered recently is you know fear of um, being being heard. So as a child, I grew up in the military, right? And in the military, you walk around on Air Force bases if you're living there and you're not really allowed to, to speak out because your, your, your loved one who's in the military, your mother or father, could um, get demerits or have negative marks placed upon them. And it's this whole kind of patriarchal system that, you know, you're, you're supposed to stay in line 
not overstep your boundaries. So I grew up, you know, learning to obey those rules and learning to abide by the guidance that my my mom had taught me, but I didn't really realize until recently how much that had impacted me, impacted me from speaking my truth and from sharing what needs to be shared and for offering what is really from the depths of my heart. So subconscious fears can be things that we we have carried around with us really without knowing, subconscious or unconscious. Um, I guess I kind of use those interchangeably. Things that are just not conscious, things that we might not be aware of, they're often um, ingrained with our our culture, with the way that we grew up, um, with the, the society that we lived in, with the family space that we grew up, from the ethnic culture, from the um, financial or economic culture even that we grew up in. If we even look up... Uh, Another large fear that that people might often encounter is a fear of money. There's a common saying, money is the root of all evil. Rich people are greedy or selfish. All of these things, and we end up with holding the truths of these sayings within us and really not allowing ourselves to break out of what it means to have another perspective or have another opinion or be able to see things um, differently. You know, what is that fear really all about? Is it something that we're, that we're taught or told? And what if we were able to rewrite the stories of these fears? What would truly happen if we rewrote those fears of money? What would happen if we rewrote those fears of traveling? What would happen if we rewrote those fears of intimacy, of connection, those fears of reaching out and receiving help, those fears of, of remembrance? What if we were to dig into them? Fear, fear causes a tremendous amount of disruption in our field. On a really basic emotional level, that fear can kind of lead to resistance or withholding. We can feel it in our bodies. If you bring up something that you fear, if you bring up one of your monsters, something that you're fearing, you can sense a constriction somewhere in your body. So I invite you right now to scan over the muscles of your body to recall something that you fear that doesn't have to do anything with a traumatic event. So we're not digging into our traumas right now. We're digging into our, although certainly trauma brings up a tremendous amount of fear, we're bringing up something that's more on a superficial level that we can work with today. Um, so maybe for me, it might be you know, my fear of eating something with gluten, although it's really super delicious. It creates a whole bunch of disruptions in my in in my abdominal area um and my whole body and my mind it just it causes like a really big disruption so whatever that is for you i invite you to picture the impact of encountering that fear and going through your body starting with your head and your face notice if it brings up any tension maybe in your jaw your eyes Notice any physical tension that might arise from remembering this fear in your neck, 
and in your shoulders. Notice any tension in your arms, maybe trailing all the way down to your hands. Notice the impact of the remembrance of your monster in your torso, your chest. Is there any tension or tightness there? Your belly, your abdomen, any tension or tightness? Notice the posture of your hips. Some of the largest muscles in our body begin in our hips and we unknowingly hold a tremendous amount of tension here. Notice if there's any tension there. Notice any tension in your legs, from your hips to your knees and your knees to your calves. And then be aware of your feet. Are your feet gripping? Are your toes clenching from the remembrance of this fear? Just make a mental bookmark in your mind about where in your body you feel the resonance of those monsters, where you feel the resonance of those fears. So fears impact us physiologically. We can feel them in our body and when this tension arises, then it engages something called the sympathetic nervous response. And the sympathetic nervous response is our response to stress. Sometimes just the memory of stress can bring us back there, which is why post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, um, you know, memories of flashbacks or triggers of things that are associated or related to the event that caused that traumatic incident can bring us back into a space of heightened arousal. And what that looks like is a constricting of the muscles, it looks like the elevation of our stress hormone cortisol. Actually, you can't see that, but what that does to your whole body is your pupils might dilate, your chest starts pounding because our heart rate quickens, and also our breathing becomes shallow in the sympathetic nervous response. We start breathing from our chest instead of from the full depth of our lungs. So we're taking in less oxygen much more rapidly. So there's this chest pounding from this quick breathing and, and our heart pounding. Um, it also stops the flow of blood and less energy into our digestive system. So our digestive system might come to a halt, which is why when we're in a chronic state of anxiety or fear or <laughs> being attacked by our monsters, if you will, we end up, you know, our digestion comes to a halt. Many people who I see in, in a patient psychiatry unit, are their digestion needs, needs help because they're so overcome with fear that they need a laxative every single day in order to work, right? Also with anxiety, anxiety can cause, in some, some constitutions of people, it can cause the opposite effect, but it does stop our, our digestive system from working, right? And that might mean that it gets bound up and constipated for some people, and that might mean that it is just totally released and sporadic for others. So we also see in the sympathetic nervous system response um, a rushing of bl blood flow to our hands and feet because in primitive days what would happen is 
Um, you know, our our body is wired. We've been around more as human beings, escaping lions, or big weather patterns, and trying to chase away the dangers of the world. Other tribes attacking us, which still happens in some ways, but not in in literal ways. But we have all of these stresses that. Um, that are bound up inside of us and it causes our bodies to engage in this heightened state of reactivity. So what we need to do is engage our parasympathetic nervous response. Um, and before I go over maybe a couple techniques to do that, let's just talk about in the sympathetic nervous response, what comes up emotionally. Right. So we might have, we certainly have fear. But prolonged experiences of fear can cause other things. It might heighten a sense of guilt, a sense of shame, a sense of unworthiness, a sense of not belonging. All of these things that cause us isolation and really prevent us from fully being in the moment, both with ourselves and with others. So when we're walking along our mon- with our monsters, we're really forgetting the fact that other people are also walking along with theirs. And it leaves us to this false sense of isolation, this false sense of being alone. We forget to reach out. So um, what we need to do, you know, on on a physiological level is engage the opposite of the sympathetic nervous response, which is the parasympathetic nervous response. One of the best ways to regain access and connection with that is through breathing. When we breathe, we can slow down the rhythm of our lungs. We can slow down the rhythm of our heart. We can slow down the rhythm of our mind. So from a musical perspective, it's all about slowing. It's about all about regaining access to our rhythm. And if we can regain our rhythm, then we can invite um, the possibility of, of harmony and connectivity with our experiences and with others. So when we're able to slow down, then we can say, we can reach out for help. Right? We can go to that therapist. We can call up that really awesome best friend who has all that great advice. We can reach out to an online community. We can connect to others. But that is, it's so important. Um, it's so important because if we don't accept and invite the presence of our monsters, then we're going to continue to be afraid of them so much that we might not be able to see them and we ignore the presence of them being there. So when we ignore problems, they they don't go away. Um, If you're in an orchestra and there's a violin who's playing really out of tune and continues to play, they're not going to magically appear in tune. If you're in a house and your plumbing breaks and you don't fix that, that, that pipe, things are going to continue to, to get worse. You know, flood... Flooding starts to happen. I guess in an orchestra, other people might become upset or irritated because they've done the work to to be in tune and and others haven't. Or maybe somebody needs to reach out and tell the violinist to get in tune. I'm not sure, but something needs to change. And for the first thing, we have to recognize that we're not in tune. 
We have to recognize that our plumbing is broken. We have to recognize that something is out of harmony, out of key, and not in tune within us. And it's important to be real about what that is. In my song, I I gave you a few examples of what those monsters could be. Um, we've got an eight-armed octopus that's reaching out to hold. Number one, human connection. We all need connection. We all need that physical or emotional embrace of another human being. And it's so dangerous in our culture because we're taught that we need to um, oh, do everything on our own, that we need to be completely independent, that we need to be strong and, as men and, and as women. You know, as women, we've got to raise our families and do the job and clean the house and men are supposed to be strong and stoic and not share their emotions and and it's just this whole toxic system of of a culture that that we've created that does not emphasize connectivity so maybe that's a monster for you to explore are you avoiding connection how can you have your connect needs be met do you need to reach out ask for help ask for an ear uh, emotional connectivity is especially important I mean physical activity it, it, um, connectivity is is really really important too to reach out and, and ask for hugs when you need them but also like asking for that that support when we reach out and say, hey, I need some support or advice, or would you be willing just to listen to me and to, to, to reach out to a loved one and say, say, and say that and request that really um, develops such a bonding of, of, of truth and honesty that really can add to some deeper connection be between us. So reach out and share. Share your stuff. Share your stuff. It's so important. So we've got our octopus there. That's that's one of my one of my monsters. <laughs> I wrote a song about it. Um, what else do I have? I've got um, a clueless goldfish who sees everything beautifully new. That um, you know, seeking safety and change. Change is hard shit. Change is so hard. Um, it's the only thing other than what do they say like death and taxes? Well, there's freaking change. We all change. The people around us change. Our life circumstances change. The, our physical spacesuits that we're walking around in change. You know, we've got sickness. We've got health. If We've got seasons. I live here in New England. We're shifting into fall right now. Welcome to change. You know, and it shifts th with things, things around us. So maybe that fear of change could be one of your monsters. How do we, how do we embrace that? I break out my inner goldfish. You know, they say goldfish, they, they don't have any memories. So, or five second memories and everything's like, oh, <laughs> um, here's here's this, this plastic skull. Oh, that's pretty cool. Hey, look at this plastic palm tree or this piece of allergy or wow, look, there's a new friend that you've, you've probably swam by 500 times of your life. So, hey, here's this new situation in my life. Hey, here's this... Um, massive relationship shift in my life. Well, this is kind of new. This is kind of interesting. I, I wonder what is going to happen if I 
have the presence of this person or don't have the presence of that person. But see if you can ask questions. Break out your inner five-year-old. You know? What would happen if the sky wasn't blue? What would happen if it starts getting colder? How can we turn that into some fun and play? So curiosity is such an important remedy for your monsters. Break out that curiosity. Play. And then we've got connection. Holding. Um, another monster that I talk about in the song is my, my aunt. My aunt that can lift ten times her weight. That reminder that, um, that I am strong in my own ways. And maybe some days I'm not physically strong. Maybe some days I am. Maybe some days I'm not emotionally strong. But I know that I live in a world where there's other ants. So I can, I can reach out and get that help. But I know that there's something inside of me that, that resilience, that inner strength that will always, always be there. So another remedy to your monsters is to summon your strength. To remember that you are a freaking ant. To remember that you are, you're part of a whole unit too. You're part of a unit of other ants. And you've got this, you can, you can lift that cookie piece all on your own and take it back to feed other ants in some way, shape, or form. You know, that, that strength, that piece of us that allows us to, to keep going on, you know. Maybe all this stuff is flying to the fan, um, but allowing yourself to just to, to let it fly, to let it smother into pieces and know that you have that inner strength to go on. Know that you can fight those monsters. You've got the strength. You might not know what tools you need. You might not have those tools at your disposal, but you've got your inner ant ready to go. So another monster that I describe is my crane. Um, the two-wing crane that reminds me to find peace. Oh, yeah. And that helps me cycle back to the sense of, of um, you know, engaging our sympathetic nervous response. Is that even when we can when we're when we're stressed out when we're experiencing life full force and all its blows and all the storms that are coming our way we still have that peace within us and we can cultivate peace around us and we can do so by um setting up an environment that helps us fight those monsters that arise under our bed you know, might we, might we create an open space somewhere for them to lay so that they don't have to hide out? Might we take them out, take out the monsters and breathe with them in our presence? Might we create a container for them? But peace, let us, let us resonate and Take a few deep breaths together to remind ourselves of our capacity for that slow tempo of peace 
in my experience, when I when I experience peace, and it's different for everybody, but most of the people that I work with, peace is slow and it's quiet. How can you invite more slow and more quiet into your life so that you can cultivate that sense of peace within you and around you? And um, maybe you can make shifts in your in your environment. What can you do to invite more peace in the, the artwork and the decor of your home? Is there an instrument that you can introduce? Be it a singing bowl or some bells or chimes. I have bells all over my house. And every threshold that remind me um, to, to take my time when passing, to remind me to ring, to remind me to take a moment. Um... Another way that you might invite peace might be through, you know, some, some safe candles, through some essential oils, through calm, fuzzy creatures, um, but changing the aesthetic of your environment. Oh, plants. Plants are such an important way to invite peace. They are just the epitome of stillness, right? They, they do move slightly with, with the sun and the shifts and the changes and at night, but for the most part, they are... They are stillness and they are peace in action. So peace. So the invitation is for you to recognize what they are. And to invite them into your field, because when we invite things in, then we can learn to heal it. If we have a sickness and we're not going to the doctor to have that sickness healed, then it becomes worse. Most of the time, it becomes worse if we don't treat something. Likewise, our monsters become worse. The stress hormone cortisol that I mentioned earlier in your body builds up. It becomes greater. We have this overabundance of cortisol. And if we don't fix our stress, if we don't fix our monsters, if we don't address them, if we don't um, accept their presence in our lives, then it, it, if we don't allow ourselves to see them, then we can't heal them. And you can't heal things if you don't know that they exist. Um, so I have a little share about um, something that I um, recognized lately. I had a few months ago, my dog bit my hand for the first time. And it was a bit of a wake-up call for me. I, you know, I always had this fear my dog does have um, some fear-based aggression where if she gets too afraid, then she'll lash out. But things that help her keep her fear in check. We went to an animal behaviorist and some of the pieces that help her are being able to set boundaries, having a routine or a ritual. So we do trainings every day. Um, it's the same thing every day, but that the feeding of, of the ritual and, and in human terms, that can be self-care. 
You know, what, what can you invite every day in order to help harness and harvest that sense of wellness within you, that sense of peace, that sense of relief and release? Um, what can you do to help keep yourself in check? So my dog bit my hand. I had realized that I hadn't been sending, setting boundaries with her, that I hadn't been doing because she was getting better. She was more lovely. I could invite friends over and she would be happy and sweet. And one day I invited her up in the bed and she's not supposed to be in the bed. Um, but I invited her up there and I could sense her growling. And I do this thing where I test her boundaries. Um, and she just, she snapped and she bit my hand. And I encouraged her to get off of the bed and I sat there looking at the wound in my hand realizing how in my life I had not been setting boundaries I had not been establishing my routines I had been neglectful of some of my own needs and there I was kind of staring at this gaping wound looking at this like white flesh underneath that that opened up and transpired and I realized that that was a big wound that I needed to heal that it was important for me to set my own boundaries and I was afraid so one of my my monsters was being afraid of saying hey I need this hey this is what I desire in life or in this friendship or in this relationship I had um not really taken a deep look at what my own inner needs were. And sometimes monsters might look like that. Monsters might look like those needs, those unmet pieces that you're afraid to look at. So when, we, when we're able to explore what those are for us, then they can really open up some beautiful doors. Um, so my hand healed really quickly, um, really, really, really quickly. And I was so proud of my body for healing so quickly. But in, in the midst of this, I was also so reminded of my own potential and my own capacity for healing on an emotional and spiritual level with those things that I was afraid of asking for. So you can do that too. So you're capable of it too. You're capable of healing your needs. You are capable of healing your monsters. Take them out and nurture them. Make them your friends. You know, get that sense of um, what needs holding within you. What needs more peace? What needs more strength? You've got those internal forces that are always with you that no one will take from you and what needs more curiosity how can you always lead with a lens of curiosity how can you always be that goldfish so why are our monsters important why do we need to go here? Why do we need to do this work? Why do we need to see the scary things? Why do we need to feel the scary thoughts? Why do we need to harness these internal strengths, this beautiful curiosity? Why do we need to do all this? 
And the answer is that it's preventing us from living our best life. If we're consistently in a process of holding ourselves back from embracing these fears and from healing these fears, then it prevents us with fully realizing, fully actualizing, fully engaging our internal selves. We don't step forth as the most whole version of ourselves if we don't take a look at these monsters. We don't have the capacity to reach out into the world and connect with the outside. We, we are connecting as a broken form of ourselves with the outside world. And we are always in some way, shape, or form going to be connecting as, as, as broken pieces of ourselves because if we're doing it right, then there's always going to be something to heal. This is a lifelong path. Healing is a lifelong path. We've all got monsters that we grew up with. We've all got monsters that we've encountered along the way. We've all got ways that we can take these monsters and break them out to play right? My two-wing crane used to be like this big scary piece. Like I remember when I was an adolescent in high school and I was like, you know, I high school was in the 90s when it was cool to like listen to Nirvana and have all these morose feelings and <laughs> wear flannel shirts. Um, you know, 90s kiddo in high school. And anyway, so like finding peace, like peace wasn't a cool thing back then. It wasn't something that was taught to us. I mean, I grew up Roman Catholics so and didn't even like show up in, in my church. You know, we did this whole peace be with you thing, but it was just like so dull and monotonous and meaningless, meaningless, this like whole process of shaking people's hands and wishing them peace. No one ever sat down with me and was like, hey, this is really how you set an intention and pass it on to someone else. You, you kind of have to feel that. But I didn't really grow up in the right time of learning how to feel that from an early age. So I was able to take that monster, you know, this monster of peace, this monster of really not knowing how, how to obtain peace, how to obtain calmness or kindness. And you, you turn it into your friend. Take those feelings that you don't know how to feel and explore them curiously. Goldfish. I freaking love goldfish. I always had goldfish growing up. And um, and that sense of curiosity came from the sense of fear of the unknown. You know, I guess the, the fear of change and the fear of the, the unknown. I, I had mentioned earlier in the episode, you know, the sense of like growing up in military family. And when I was young, we moved around really frequently. And when I was school age, I realized, oh my goodness, I have to leave all my friends. And I was grateful that my parents did settle um, as I was a child so I could really develop and nurture some, some friendships. But not all kids of military families are stationary long enough or have parents who, who see that. So I'm super grateful for that. But the sense of change and uncertainty was, was a big sense of fear early on. So if I could kind of imagine myself going into this classroom for the first time again as a goldfish and trying to learn all these beautiful new things about my you know new future friends and the environment and the place where I lived, 
how could we find that that beauty so this fear of change turned into curiosity so how can you take your fears your task should you choose to accept it is to engage in your fears and find out how you can transform them into your strengths and it's totally possible it's totally possible I've done it so if I can do it you can do it I've made it this far um, and when we can transform those interactions with ourselves if we can transform those fears then we can take those little superpowers that we gain with our, our new monsters maybe they transition into something else so you know, I've, I've got monsters and I picture them as like little origami pieces of paper that I might, you know, keep in my mental Rolodex or in my back pocket or wherever you might keep things in your pocketbook. And I imagine just, okay, I need curiosity in this. How can I invoke my, <laughs> my inner goldfish? Or I need peace. Where is my inner crane? You know, how can you find those, those inner pieces of yourself? And then when you have a set of them, and you can take them into the outside world and say, hey, a person who's going through distress, let me take out my imaginary crane, and how can I be, how can I embody this crane? Because I used to embody that, that, that fear, I, or not that fear, I used to, yeah, the fear of not wanting, not having, not being cool to connect, that fear of like, you know, in the 90s, having, like, the moody grunge music persona, like, how can you, how can you shift that? You know, we've, we've all been there. We've all had periods in our lives where moodiness and, um, and disconnection may have been really difficult to access. But we've all had moments in our life, even if they're fleeting fragments, where, where peace was, was, the most predominant way how can we bring those those tools of our monsters into the everyday experience and offer them to other people right so when we take out our monsters we can transform them we can have them be our playmates and you can take them out. You can offer them to people. Not literally. So when I go and... <laughs> I mean, it can be literally. If you're, you're with the right person who is accepting of you. Like, hey, you need, you need my crane right now. Here you go. Let's take some deep breaths together. But not everyone is really, really cool with that. Like, you know, I, if I go into work and I'm in treatment team and I can sense the stress of, of people, I'm not going to you know, offer my psychiatrists or my hardworking psych nurses, I'm not going to offer them my, my crane. Um, but I might just take some deep breaths around them, you know, so it might, might not have to be literal, but you can do so much with your presence. You can do so much by developing your presence and by cultivating your presence and by learning when those moments are to harvest your presence in front of other people. And then when you can install those little bits of wisdom and joy and peace and curiosity into the world around you, then it, the world around you starts to embody that peace, embody that curiosity, embody those qualities that are important to you. So write down those qualities. 
Dig into them. Find out what they are. Find out the world that you want to surround yourself with. And begin to create that. Begin to create that by modeling, by taking out your monsters, <laughs> by, by knowing what those monsters are. Just know your monsters. Find out who they are. If you want, you can give them names. Give them names. It's such a beautiful technique to be like, oh, there, here's, my, here's my fear right here. You know, here's, here's, um, what's like, like here's Fearsome Freddy, he's coming back. Or like, here's Calamity Confusion, right? Because when we, oh my gosh, when we're confused about things, we also put up a block between understanding, right? If we're confused, it's not that we're curious. When we're curious, it leads to this open expansiveness of knowledge within us. But if we're confused, then it creates like this constriction of, I don't really want to know what that's about because I'm afraid of it. So how can we create, you know, um, Cassandra confusion? No. <laughs> how can we invite like, Clarissa confusion to shift into Clarissa calm or Clarissa curious or um but name them name your monsters maybe they have different names when they transform but we can really learn to make the world better for ourselves and better for the people around us if we invite those things so when we talk about self-care, when we talk about um, our inner self-work, and when we talk about, and when I talk about engaging our monsters, it's really about helping to to heal the world. And it really needs to start with ourselves. That take doing this deep inner work of exploring what those monsters are really does spread everywhere. And it's so important to start with with you. And it'll magnify out to your family. It'll shift out into your community. So find those monsters. Embrace the shit out of them. And just love them up. Love them up. Give them names. Find out how they suit you. Play with them. If you want, make little action figures of, even if you just draw them on paper and dance around with them, take out your monsters and have a dance party, um, play music with them. You know, if your monsters had, had a sound, what would your monster sound like? If your monsters were a plant, how would they be growing? And if your monsters were a plant, how would they grow when they're healed and were abundant forces of coping skills and wellness techniques that you could pull out of your purse or back pocket or mental Rolodex? What would that look like if it were growing? What plant would it be? You know, can we create a garden of our monsters? If you were to paint a garden of your monsters, what, what things would emerge? What would your garden of monsters look like? What would your monsters smell like? And what would they smell like once they were healed? Right, so allow yourself to really explore monsters. What would your monsters feel like? And what will your monsters feel like when they are healed? 
And as a side note, just because they're healed doesn't mean that they don't crawl up in their kind of ugly, evil forms from time to time, right? It's a process, but neurologically, which is something I'll talk about another time, we can rewrite, we can rewrite that. But it takes a long time because we've been living our whole lives with this programming of our monsters and with this patterning of our monsters. Um, so it takes time to overwrite and to overcome and to befriend and new friend and um, all the other beautiful things that go along with this. So anyway, I hope that you enjoyed exploring monsters with me today. If you're still listening, thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm just, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening to the Sound of Wishes podcast. Once again, I'm Cassandra Mulcahy, editor, creatress, and producer at the Sound of Wishes podcast. For more information about us and our projects, please visit thesoundofwishes.com and follow us on Instagram as well as Facebook at The Sound of Wishes. To support The Sound of Wishes, please consider signing up for our newsletter, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving us a five-star review if you found this episode helpful. It helps people find us, and your support will be returned with oodles of gratitude. Thank you so much for tuning in to Tune Up. I love you, I'm grateful for you, and I'm glad that we are alive on this planet here in this moment of time. Be well, wishes.